This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast with me, Ian Doyle. Joining me today is our full-time Liverpool correspondent, both home and away, James Pearce. Hiya, Jay. Hello, Ian. How are you? I'm okay. How was America? It was both warm and cold, so very confusing. Very confusing for me, obviously. Very long way away as well, but somebody else pays, so that's the main thing. Uh, Also with me is Paul Ghost. (laughs) Now does she still amaze me? (laughs) Oh, hang on, where are you going later this month? Well, yeah, but I'm not... Shouting from the rooftops that it's a company jolly, but continue. <laughs> but it is, though. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. And also, we've got a very special guest. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try and pronounce this right. It's Aragonhild Lund Ansnes. It's perfect. Ah, oh, brilliant. You'd have said that no Nobody's matter what ever I said. said you? Yeah. That was <laughs> in the same sentence before. Who is joining us? The, now, you've got an interesting backstory. What exactly is it? What's your link to Liverpool? Well, once upon a time, I used to hate football, and through my journalism and my uh, skills of writing, I've transformed myself into one of the most fanatic <laughs> Liverpool fans over the last <laughs> 10 years. And uh, we're talking three Liverpool books later, a couple of them official for the club. And uh, I've just recently released Bruce Grobler's autobiography as a ghostwriter. So, uh, yeah, here I am. We'll talk a bit more about the book later on. But first, James, you were at Brighton at the weekend. You watched Liverpool eke out a 1-0 win against the Seagulls. I mean, what was your take on it? Was this very much a case of just having to get the results after what happened in the previous two games? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a game that will particularly live long in the memory banks. Um, Liverpool didn't play anywhere near the level that we've seen from the times this season. But we saw that other side to Klopp's team, that ability to go to tough places and dig deep and, and grind out a result. I mean, the, the first 45 minutes, it was almost a non-event. Brighton looked absolutely petrified of what Liverpool could do to them if they if they, if they they pushed up at all. They were sat, sat so deep, no space for Liverpool's attacking players to, to make the most of. Um, and you got the feeling it was just going to be one of those days where you just needed a bit of magic, a bit of inspiration from someone and... Thankfully, Mo Salah produced that with the um, you know the turn and the burst of pace to to, to force the the mistake from from Gross that that led to the penalty that he he took tucked away so emphatically. So um, it was a really professional job, I thought. I think the second half Liverpool played a lot better um, and showed again this maturity, uh, you know, not to take stupid risks and to control games and. You know, the fact that Brighton, for all, you know, it got jittery late on. Brighton never had a, a single shot on target, which showed how well Liverpool did to keep them at bay. I mean, Gorsty, was this an example, as we just mentioned, of the result being paramount compared to anything else? Or, as James said, is the fact that the second half performance was significantly better suggest that Liverpool have got over any kind of suggestion that would be any hangover after the defeats to yeah. City and Wolves? Yeah. To be fair, it's a, it's a better result than it sounds, a 1 0 against Brighton. Um, I think it was the, as James says there, Brighton didn't have a shot on target. I think it's the first time that they haven't scored at home. Um, and they've obviously beat Manchester United there. And that's where they pick up their points. Chris Shooting side are very good at home. And, and they're a decent side, to be fair. We, we, we spoke about that last week in the pod. So it was a really good result for Liverpool to go there on you know, back-to-back defeats. And one or two questions about how they'll handle it and how they respond. And, and they, they have done. And um, 18 months ago, Liverpool wouldn't have got that result. But they, they, they would have went there and wilted and probably would have lost and would have had to score a couple to to get a draw so it's kind of just a little nod to how Klopp's team have developed this season and how how much the, the defence has improved the defence is now their main their main strength isn't it whereas 
last season it was all about the attack and they scored 135 goals and that was the you know the, the blockbuster Liverpool wasn't it but now they're a completely different proposition and um, it's it's that kind of character that gets teams to titles and speaking as a self-confessed new Liverpool fan when you see that the team are going to places like Brighton what are you expecting them just to automatically win or what are you expecting from games like that well, looking at the history of Liverpool in January, I wasn't too uh, confident before the game. We've had such bad January spells for so many seasons now. Um, and the first half did make me more convinced. So um, I was really nervy throughout the game. It was a, it was a painful game to watch as a fan. Uh, but as you're saying as well, uh, you know, the defence is just outstanding at the moment. And... That is really sort of resting my pulse a lot more than last yeah. season because Van Dijk back there, you know, how he's bossing around the back, the back four is just immense. And, and to see also um, Fabinho, how he was working really well in that position, it seems like that man can play everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was nervy. Um, and it's frustrating how we're not scoring on such obvious chances um, at the moment. But I'm sure with this result, it will just tune them in and get back to business. James, we'll talk about Fabinho then. He obviously was pressed into a centre-back role, given the injuries to uh, Matip Gomez and now Lovren. I mean, you know that we've spoken at length about how long it's taken him to actually adapt, but no one talks about that anymore, do they? And now he's just, as well as being centre-mid, he's fitted in at right-back, I think, at one point, and then now he's, he's playing centre-back? Yeah, yeah, when you think of his contribution over the last probably five or six weeks, and he, he had those couple of assists, didn't he? What was that just before Christmas, obviously, scoring his first goal for the club as well, proving he was a lot more than just a holding midfielder and not, not just a wrecking ball that he could actually create and had you know the you know, the quality of the assist for for Mane was was absolutely top draw and and then obviously you know not ideal for him I'm sure he wasn't exactly relishing the prospect of playing centre half at Wolves you know but even in that game in that cup tie you know in it, the odds were stacked against him with the players he had around him but he was one of Liverpool's best players on what was a you know pretty dismal night and then I thought he was Liverpool's man of the match at Brighton. I think when you when you factor in that he'd never played in like an elite European league game in that in that role, um, you know it helped obviously that Liverpool had so much of the ball. It wasn't like they were getting bombarded. But you know the number of times where balls did come into the box that he was in the right place at the right time to deal with them. Um, I mean he's got every he's got everything you'd want from a centre half in terms of you know he, he's strong in the air. Um, good with the ball at his feet as well. You know, reads the game really well. Um, yeah, just a massive plus because that that could have been. You know, I'm sure Brighton in the build-up to the game were looking at that, and I'm sure that was part of Chris Hewton's plan. That you know, to Glenn Murray, you know, that is a an, a chink in Liverpool's armour that you can exploit. You know, they've got a you know a centre midfielder playing centre back, but. Um, you would never... have a recent history of playing players out of position at Brighton, though, haven't they? Remember last season yeah. with Emre, Emre Chan and Juan Alderman in, in, in yeah. back three? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a very different game in terms of, see, Liverpool ended up taking Brighton to the, to the cleaners that day. This, this one was, was a, a much kind of closer affair. But, you know, I think also it helps Fabino having someone like Van Dijk um, alongside him because... Again, he just Van Dijk is playing at such a ridiculously high level at the moment. He just cruises through games. It's um, you know, he's just an, an absolute joy to watch. So Van Dijk calms you down. Definitely. Just I just enjoy watching him close up, you know, on the ground. Um, how he just bosses everyone around. He's got he takes on so much responsibility, and I think that's 
probably one of the best factors of a winning team when each player take on as much responsibility as they possibly can and that's how you create a winning team you're not just doing <clears throat> sorry your job but you want to make sure that those around you are improving their games as well and he's got that extra x factor that is just very enjoyable to watch would you say he's way worth way more than the 75 million pounds that Liverpool paid for him because it's been a year now and at the time people were going why on earth did they paid that much they thought they were paying a premium because of what happened with Southampton six months early with the failed bid do you feel as though now it's you know he's worth double that oh definitely I I, I don't know exactly how much he, I would say he's worth but he's definitely worth a lot more um, and that just shows a little bit the cleverness of Klopp how he can think ahead and how he can see potential and, and, and get the best out of players as well so I think we need to give some credit to the manager as well for for building him <clears throat> up to become such a, a great player and as and because he's now the third captain as well is already communicating to him uh, that you know take that responsibility and and that creates a lot of confidence, I suppose. Sorry, sorry. I was going to say, only you know, it won't be that long, will it, before we be talking about the PFA <coughs> Player of the Year award? And he has to be, you know, I think I think if the voting was this week, I think he would be an absolute shoe in. I don't think there's really. A, I, I think so. I know. I know. Traditionally, defenders don't don't usually win it because you know sometimes their contributions go under the radar a little bit in games. You know, they, they don't grab the headlines, but he's been, he's been that good, and and because. You know, as Gorsi said earlier, Liverpool defensively, that that is what this title challenge has been built on. You know, to have only conceded ten goals after twenty-two games, thirteen clean sheets, is just ridiculous, and so much of that is is down to him. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you know, barring a, a, a dramatic collapse in his form, you know, I, I think I think he has to be the favourite to win that this season I think Liverpool need to win the title for that to happen though um, I wrote a piece on uh, Saturday and it was basically saying there's only two centre-backs who've ever won Premier League Player of the Year and that was Nemanja Vidic and uh, Vincent Company. and both times Manchester United and Manchester City have won the title so I think if Van Dijk's going to get an accolade like that Liverpool will have to be crowned Premier League champions um, but if they are then he's just going to automatically go down as a a legendary figure for the pool, you know, forever. Just because of how important he's been since he's come in in the last twelve months, it's just been a remarkable turnaround defensively, and a lot of it is down to just how good he has been. Here's an interesting thought for everybody: Do you feel as though Liverpool's the one, the season ticket holders at Anfield who see most of the home games? They obviously not many of them get to go to the away games at home. Liverpool are dominating games; they don't really see the best of Van Dijk, but it's the fans who go to the away games. They see what he's all about, you know, when Liverpool are under pressure, because you can't really get a good idea of what's actually happening unless you're there. You can see stuff on television, but you don't see all the, th- the things you mentioned of the organising and cajoling other players. Do you feel as like maybe there's something in that, that it's the fans who go to home and the away ones that are really seeing the best of him? I think so. I mean, we got a good little window of that uh, this last game when when the camera picked up on him shouting to Trent really animatedly. Um, but definitely, you know, the more pressure they are under, uh, the more they have to defend, the more he stands out, definitely, for sure. Now, James, there was a small matter of a penalty for Liverpool, another one, having gone, I think, what was it, something like a very long time without one, certainly at home. They've now had four in, since Christmas yeah. now obviously this is a massive conspiracy to help Liverpool win the league <laughs> according to fans of all the other clubs this is despite the fact Manchester United have had more penalties than anybody else this season they just didn't happen to score all of them Liverpool have now scored more penalties than, there's no other team sorry that's that scored more penalties than Liverpool that's five but the four that were given 
that was a penalty, wasn't it? Even, even yeah, Chris yeah. Hughes said it was a penalty, but then you've got Andy Gray going on to on television and saying, "Oh, he's getting a reputation." I think it was Richard Keys that said that. Yeah, actually. I mean, the, the problem you've got to take what what Richard Keys and Andy Gray say, but the, but, but they are to be. To, I know, <laughs> yeah, we know, we know. Like, they're the kind they, of they come out with ridiculous things like what, what, to try what, and stay relevant. Well, what Richard Keys said, irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. What Richard Keys desert, thousand miles away. What Richard Keys, <laughs> what Richard Keys said about Rafael Benitez saying, "Why didn't he?" I know. Put what some you spend your own money yeah, to yeah, yeah. buy players? Well, well, Richard, when you're about to get, get let go by Sky, why don't you just buy, yeah. use your own money to buy it so you yeah, could keep your job? Yes, well, yeah. Someone else, I saw someone had tweeted him yesterday to say, "Can I just check? Do you personally pay for the guests that come on B and Sports?" Because you know, it's the, the same logic, isn't it? If he thinks that Benitez should be buying his own but, players. But what they are saying, but, though, is there are other people saying the same thing. It's not just them, is it? No, but then people will look for you know anything to pounce on, won't they? You know, this idea that it's a conspiracy that... I've I've seen a few Man City fans tweeting that you know the, the authorities have already decided that Liverpool have, have got to win the title because it will be great for the the Premier League brand this season. And well, well, here's a little stat on Man City. That thing is that last eight seasons they've been in the top four in terms of most penalties being awarded in the Premier League for each of the last eight years the top four and this season they've only had one whereas the one they had at Anfield and missed so it is a conspiracy it is yeah it clearly. must be yeah. <laughs> it's quite interesting though when you think of the amount of time that a team like Manchester City would spend in an opposition penalty area they've only had one one penalty yeah but that's yeah. what Liverpool have had you know, for the past 18 months until recently they had yeah. exactly yeah. the same thing there was absolutely no doubt about that yeah. one on Saturday. Well, Chris Hewton said it was it a penalty, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I thought that was quite classy of him actually, because I think I can think of probably half a dozen Premier League managers who would have. Could you name whack. at least four of them? Sean Dyche, hundred yeah. percent. Would, would, would one of them? Would, well, I was going to say yeah. one of them come out in support of Brexit yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to try and deflect yeah. from yeah. Cardiff yeah. nil, Huddersfield nil. Yeah, hundred percent. And um, you know, it's a fair, fair play to Chris Hewton because you know even even. Um, Pascal Gross was in the mix zone just a bit further down for me on Saturday after the game, and he was. His bizarre reasoning was, I heard him say something like, uh, I didn't think it was a penalty because he went down after I'd let go of him. It was just like, what, what, so he should have gone down whilst you were still holding him. Yeah, so, he, so he basically he was, admitted that he did have hold of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it, was, it was 100% a penalty. And I don't understand this idea that, you know, I thought, the, let's be honest, the one against Newcastle was a bit soft, wasn't it? But it yeah. was stupid from Dummett to, yeah. to grab him like he did, but... You've seen them given. Yeah, I don't think yeah, anyone you wouldn't would be say happy. that. Yeah, you wouldn't he, be happy if that's given. Yeah, exaggerated that slightly. The one against Arsenal was absolutely a hundred percent a penalty. Um, but then you know, was it Socrates? Was it, was, wasn't it? On Lovren, that was a bit of a death, um, wasn't it? No, no, no. That, no, he was no, the one who actually no, the second one, the second one, wasn't it? Class match, sorry, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, sorry, yeah, and you know that was a hundred percent a penalty, and the one on Saturday was absolutely a hundred percent nailed on. So. No, it was. I mean, the Brighton fans were a bit odd because they did boo. <laughs> they did boo Salah mercilessly, and then they they were absolutely outraged with Kevin Friend blowing up for the most obvious free kicks that they were. They it were definitely convinced like they were some kind. They had they, four they were, or five handballs against them in the first half, and they were absolutely fuming about it or something. That's what yeah, I read anyway. It was, it was all a bit odd, and obviously, yeah, Salah was getting absolute dogs abuse off them. But I think they would have all felt pretty silly. Sat at home watching match of the day on Saturday night when they saw the incident back because absolutely no doubt it was a penalty. Was Cardiff nil Huddersfield nil the most obvious scoreline in Premier League history, by the way, or was it the, the initial game which was Huddersfield nil Cardiff nil? Wasn't it, it was goalless, wasn't it? Yeah. In both, both yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think they could have played for the remainder of time and nobody would have scored. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably, yeah. 
Now, a lack of firepower, that suggests for both clubs. An, an interesting statistic that Liverpool now have gone 40 months since losing back-to-back Premier League games, which, bear in mind, that, that happened to Manchester City last month. That does suggest that there's, you know, there's been an awful lot of consistency, certainly since Jurgen Klopp's taken charge. Oh, definitely. It's, uh, it's just so much fun, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, how we've only lost one game out of 22, is it now? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's just unreal. If anybody has told had told me this at the start of the season, I would have laughed and said, "Are you crazy? No chance." Um, so it's just joyful at the moment. I mean, what was your reaction when they did get beat by City? When they've done the record went? Were you worried or were you just like, "Well," I, to be honest, that is the first night I haven't slept properly before a Premier League game this season. No, it's true. Really? I tossed and turned, and it was like I was going on myself. And then, you know, when that ball rolled over the line and missed by 11 millimetres, I mean, how cruel can that be? And we had post out, post out, and they had post in, of course. It was like everything was against us in terms of, of that, those margins. And afterwards, I just felt like I'd run like a, a marathon for 29 years and I was beaten by 11 millimetres. You know <laughs> it's I mean? not finished yet, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I it's know, I know, yet. but it was just that exhausting sort of anticlimax from such a high. But of course, if there was any game we would lose that season, it would be that one. I mean, they've only lost one at home mm. for the whole season. Uh, so I, I quickly shook it off, but... There and then it hurt because the margins were just so finely. It was such a tough game and it was so nerving, so intense and it was just exhausting. Now, James, Manchester City and Liverpool are in the title race. Are Tottenham still in a title race after what happened at Wembley yesterday? The 1-0 no. defeat to Manchester no, no, I, United. I, to honest, I, didn't even, I thought even before that, I didn't think... I know, really? I, know, I know they were close enough for you to say they were in the race mathematically, but they haven't got the squad, have they? I just don't think, I don't think they've got... The, to be still competing on four fronts as well. Um, no, I thought, what was the game they lost over Christmas? Wolves. Yeah. Three, I, mean, one I, I think, home, I think yeah. Tottenham were in the title race for, what was three that? Days, three days, three days, yeah. yeah. And then I kind of like discounted them after that. And I wasn't, I wasn't surprised really that they, they lost yesterday. I think obviously Kane getting injured as well. Son is away, isn't he, at the, the Asian Games. And I think Dembele's leaving, isn't he, for China? He's gone to China, yeah. yeah. That's very odd. Yeah. Um, they just haven't got, you know, sufficient depth, I don't think, to... You know they're they're more than capable of, of you know doing damage to teams along the way. And Tottenham at home is probably one of the, you know one of, if you were picking three or four of the toughest games left, you definitely include that. But in terms of like mounting a serious challenge to Liverpool's title hopes, I I think you can discount them. Are United going to start playing a part though in where the title goes? Because obviously yeah. they've got well, that, they've come to a bit more form. One hundred percent. That's Liverpool's toughest game yeah. left because that and Everton, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Mm. Yeah, I mean Everton will be but tough not, just but, because but, but of the, point, the atmosphere but, but around the, the game. It won't be t- not so much tough because of City going City going to United will be equally as tough. Whereas I don't think City going to Everton will be quite as tough for them. Yeah, although I get I get the impression I think United would rather City won the league, wouldn't they? But they can't, oh, yeah. but but they can't, they can't yeah. afford to lose on purpose, though, can they? No, but they're, they're kind of used to to seeing City win out the over the yeah. last few years, and It'd be easier to take. I think. Yeah, for them, oh, undoubtedly, but. That, when Liverpool go to Everton, I think it's in April, that'll be an absolute bear pit, won't it? Yeah. But when Manchester City show up, it'll probably just be a bit of a procession. <laughs> um, I'm glad you said that, not me. It, it, it will. It's that basically, you know, Everton fans do not want Liverpool in the league, ever. Um, and it's happened before, hasn't it, 2014? So, 
I think I think that old traffic game is is the big one for the pool. That you know, United resurgence. I was really impressed with how they played yesterday, actually. Um, since Solskjaer came in... Who's sorry? How do you pronounce his name? Solskjaer. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what Paul said. Ragnar. <laughs> <Hill. laughs> um, since he's came in, they've obviously been playing really well, but they haven't played anyone of note, really, until yesterday. But I thought they were excellent. So that game at Old Trafford, I think it's in March. That's going to be huge. Are you worried then about United under... That man that you just Solskjaer. mentioned. <laughs> um, you know, I have to say, it, it's great to see how, how Norwegian sunshine sort of has a, a spin-off effect. It's just unfortunate it's that team he's taken <laughs> on because he is such a sympathetic, nice guy. I know him personally. He's, he's a really nice guy. Um, but then again, it's good to know that he's uh, also able to tell his players off. That's been now revealed as well um, So it, because he looks like such a happy little camper <laughs> and it's the first time ever I've been made up United winning it was this this round because you know that pushed Tottenham a bit away mm. but going back to Manchester City Liverpool I think we also have one more advantage that we haven't spoken about they have two more away games mm. than us and they are weaker away than home this season so hopefully that can help us too but yeah I'm a bit nervous under Solskjaer he um he seems to be bringing back that that kind of glory. Do, I don't want to say it properly. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need Tottenham to actually stay in it a bit to make it to make it interesting and also give City something to think about and talk about when they play City? You see where I'm coming from here, thinking yeah. miles ahead. Well, yeah, I suppose I can see the yeah the logic behind that, but I still think Tottenham are more than capable of getting a result I thought, against I thought anyone to- on a I one-off. I thought Tottenham played day. well yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I thought they played well. I just don't think. You know, with, with respect, we're waiting to find out. Have they said yet how long Kane's going to be out for? Not yet, no. Because he is just, you know, so so. You know, that's, I think that would be the equivalent of Liverpool losing Van Dijk. And if you know, if he's if he's out for a month or whatever, then I think that is absolutely goodbye to any hope of them being serious contenders. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Now, you'd have to say in that respect that David De Gea is perhaps United's most important player. Yeah. He's a goalkeeper. I think we can see where this is going. Um, has anybody here written a book with a goalkeeper recently? <laughs> yeah, I think I've, I've lived a year of my life with one. Uh, Bruce Grobler, yeah. Um, what a guy. You know, it's um, one thing that frustrates me with uh, autobiographies with footballers are the fact that they are all so similar. I don't want to step on anyone's toes here, but they really are. I can't finish an autobiography from start to finish with any footballer, no matter how exciting they are. They're just all built the same way. So I was really made up when Bruce asked me um, to write his book because he wanted a different kind of autobiography. Not too many women write these kind of books. So... Uh, and he is really a different kind of, of, of character, yeah. isn't he, <laughs> in the game? He's had some so, life, isn't he? Yes. I know. So it was a really uh, exciting challenge for me to, to go ahead. So I've travelled with him to Canada where he was coaching under Paul Aglish in Ottawa um, last summer. And then we've been back to Africa when he was finally let in because he was um, living in exile, not too, not too fond of Mugabe at the time, but when Mugabe fell just before Christmas last year, well, a year after, before last year, because now we're into a new year, so in 2017. 19. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 19. <laughs> um, so um, to come back to Zimbabwe and see what a hero Bruce is in Africa, it's not just in Zimbabwe, but in, in South Africa as well. He's such a massive figure. Um, 
how people up in in around the president how they met him with so much respect and then you've got the street sellers running after his car just shouting jungle man jungle man please come back and save our football because he's still you know that one who represent that dream team they have the only team that was so so close to make it to the world cup and and people in zimbabwe will never ever ever forget that so he's such a massive name and he and if if you think about it, it was one of the very first big African profiles in the top league in England. Now it's such a big industry with all these African players coming into European top flight football. But he was really one of the first. And while I was working on this book, we found all these letters nobody knew about um, showing how Bob Paisley really fought to get Bruce Grobelar into the country because he was rejected um, to uh, get a work permit when West Bromwich um, wanted to sign him. Um, so just because he was African, he didn't end up being a West Brom player, but thanks to a very persistent Bob Paisley, who really, really wanted him, um, he got him in and got him a work permit, and the rest is history. How much of his story did you know before sitting down and speaking with him? Well, I've been fortunate to interview him for several of my, my other books, both my first one on what football is doing for the fans and then my second book Liverpool FC Heroes where I interviewed 14 key players over the last 55 years of, of Liverpool's um, history he was in there because I, I represented different positions on the on the um, field and also different sides of being a person behind a player and he was in there and he's been very um, helpful in terms of helping me traveling with my books promoting my books uh, meeting fans, doing book signings with me, like 20 odd other ex-players. But uh, I've traveled a lot with Bruce. So we've made, um, you know, we've shared a lot of stories and become friends over the years. So I think he needed someone who really, he could really, really trust because in this book he opens up about the match fixing, about the war, how he was just a teenager fighting for his life in the jungle and just to go through with him what he ate to survive during that period. And all the friends he lost being that young, yeah, it's it, it's been it's been a lot of you know a lot of people regard him as the clown, you know that fun sort of bubbly character, and he really is. But he's got he's he's got so many underlayers of things he has had to conquer, so many challenges and so much stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's such a complex character and very exciting to write about. And one thing James always gets forgotten about. Bruce Grobel, as far as I'm concerned, because obviously I grew up watching him. I think you watched him as well, didn't you? Gus, did you have a chance? Did he... Yeah, um, when I was growing towards, up watching football, he was, he was in, a little bit older, but yeah. yeah. That he was actually rather good at a goalkeeper, wasn't he? <laughs> oh, he was, he was um, yeah, <laughs> unbelievably good. Yeah, I think, I think he kind of, I think it was the first sweep, it wasn't the first sweeper keeper, but he was the first keeper who made a habit of coming out and sweeping up. Yeah, there were other keepers yeah. who'd done it before him, but not to the extent he'd I done think. it. Certainly as a team that was doing as high profile as Liverpool and winning trophies yeah I think people who probably didn't watch it get to watch him play that regularly maybe you've got the wrong impression of him in terms of because you, the stories you tend to hear about doesn't it tends to be the clowning around doesn't it the hanging off the crossbar walking around the penalty box on his hands spaghetti legs yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't to be fair to, that worked yeah <laughs> you don't you don't tend to hear you know that much about the, you know the unbelievable saves that he made and you know you don't win what he won during his Liverpool career unless you know you're an absolutely elite level goalkeeper which he was for, you know for for you know just a ridiculous amount of longevity to 
to stay at the highest level for, for as long as he did. Well, David Prentice, our esteemed leader, obviously he, he was covering Everton around that period and he always said that Grobelau was worth about 12 to 15 points for Liverpool each season. And now they've got, have they got somebody in, in Alisson Becker that's similar in that respect? Because maybe not in terms of the personality, but in terms of the way he approaches the game, he likes using his feet like Grobelau did. Probably, he's probably better than him at that as well. There are similarities. Yeah, there are, yeah. I think it... it it feels to me like, yeah, this. I think Allison's the best goalkeeper Liverpool have had since Grubbler. And I think... Better than Rayner? Yeah, well, I suppose that... I think I wrote that a couple of months ago and a lot of people said, hang on a minute, you've forgotten Pepe Rayner, but I don't know. Rayner had a good... Two yeah, years. He, he yeah. just didn't make a save in the last couple no, of years, he, did he? I, I yeah. thought he went... I thought, you know, you could you could certainly argue because the, and I can understand people saying that Rayner was kind of cast aside too early, but I think, yeah, his form did dip. Um I just think Allison's in a in a different class in terms of everything he gives you. You know, it's not just the unbelievable saves and the distribution and all the rest of it. It's it's just that general calmness and composure that rubs off on players around him. You know, in in a very similar way to Van Dyke. You know, Van Dyke improved Liverpool massively in the second half of last season, but you know, it took Allison coming in to address what was a glaring area of weakness to then for Liverpool to take take you know to go on to the next level and. I, I, I personally, I wouldn't swap Allison for any anyone else in the Premier League goalkeeper wise. Even De Gea. Yeah. Would you say they're on a par? Yeah. Or, or, cause I, would, I know. Yeah, I know. That obviously, the debate at the moment <coughs> is that one's better than the other, and I think you have to say De Gea's got a longer track record. And, yeah. You know, Allison's not had to come up with a performance like De Gea had against Tottenham yesterday because Liverpool's defence. I mean. That's why yeah. you know. It was not. only it was only a few months ago, wasn't it, that people were saying that the hair had gone massively well, off the board. After the World Cup, wasn't it? Because I know in yeah. Spain they're not massively keen on it for some reason. I'm sure there was a stat a few months into the season that every shot he was yeah, yeah, every the shot, first shot he was facing it was going yeah, in. It was yeah. going in, wasn't yeah. it? But then, yeah, it just seemed the way these days that then all that suddenly forgotten on the back. You know, obviously he was he was brilliant against Spurs and but um, so yeah, even even he's had wobbles along the way. But yeah, he is he's top draw as well. I mean, sorry, Gusty. I was just going to say about Allison. Yeah, I can think of of three saves off the top of my head now that have have been hugely important to Liverpool. The one against Napoli, they'd be out the Champions League if that would have gone in. He made an incredible save against Andre Gomez in the Merseyside derby. There was one in the last few seconds at home to Brighton. Yeah, and these are all saves that have earned Liverpool points. Um, mm. So you, you mentioned there about Gravelar being Burnley. Worth. Yeah, yeah, and that went. Yeah. It could have been a draw, one, yeah. and it ended that, up being three-one. Yeah, with three-one, didn't it? So he, he doesn't have much to do throughout games, but when he does, he's, you know, he's rising to the challenge. And obviously, the mistake at Leicester aside, and probably the one at Manchester United, he hasn't made any errors that have cost Liverpool, and that just shows how consistent he is, and you know what a high-caliber shot stopper he is. Uh, Twenty, what is he? Nearly thirty games into his Liverpool career, and. He's showing. He's basically just a fine as price tag, isn't he? The way in the same way Van Dijk has. I mean, I hope we're not breaking any confidences here, but has Bruce spoken about Allison and what he thinks of him as a goalkeeper? Yeah, well, Bruce is very sort of uh, specific about he wants to see him for a full season right. before he judge judge him because it's it's all about playing on that level for the whole full season. But he's very happy with what he sees so far. Um, he's really, really happy about him being a sweeper keeper as well, being out there using his feet, starting the game quickly. <clears throat> I think he's got really precise balls when he he distributes as well, and he's just like yeah, our, our first uh, our first attacker in many ways as well. You know, he's just 
that you know with Mignolet sometimes it was so frustrating to see him I've spoken to Mignolet about this he said what happened to him eventually he's such a thinker and eventually his thinking just overtook his game because he was just thinking about all the options he had and eventually the thinking just took longer and longer and longer and that just you know made us lose the rhythm of the game and eventually he got fouled from it you know with all those seconds holding the ball but he just was constantly reading for options and I think being a good goalkeeper yes you've got to be good at reading the game but you've got to play with your instinct as well you've got to have that nice combination of instinct and brains um, and a lot of the time I think as a, the best goalkeepers play with the best instinct and just start the next attack straight away and and get that little inch ahead of of the other team I mean, James, it's a bit like a striker in a way that they are instinctive, and also when str- when a striker misses a chance, they just they they train to just forget about it and wait for the next one. With goalkeepers, obviously, it's the other way around. When they make a mistake, they're trained to just forget about it, and that's something that Allison's been able to do. Obviously, it was something that uh, Bruce Grobler was able to do as well because yeah. they, they both <coughs> goalkeepers. The one guarantee for goalkeepers, you're going to make mistakes, and the bigger the club, the more high profile the errors. Allison made, as, as Gorsty mentioned, the one against Leicester early this season. Made the one against United, probably Liverpool's one of Liverpool's biggest games of the season, and yet doesn't seem to let him bother him, does he? No, I think I remember sitting in on an interview with him back in quite early on in the season. I think it might have been a couple of weeks after the mistake he made against Leicester, and he was talking then about how he changed as a person over over the last few years of his career, and how when he was just coming through in Brazil, he, he would beat himself up, and he actually said he used to lock himself away and not speak to family or friends for days after he made a mistake in a game. But he said, you know, with coming to Europe, obviously playing in Rome. That you know, he he said you know he's he's learnt to be able to handle those things much much better, and I think I think the other thing that's probably helped him, you know, he has shown amazing mental strength to not not let the little blips along the way affect him since he's been at Liverpool, but also the fact that those two big mistakes that Gorsi referenced earlier on didn't actually cost Liverpool anything, did it? I think it, it's different if you know, obviously the, the biggest meltdown we've seen, Carriers Kiev, you know that. Oh, that hurts just that, you mentioning the, it. Yeah, you know, that's that, a very extreme example because yeah, you're not going to get, what, you know I mean, get any that's, worse that's, than that. No, exactly, no matter what that, happens, no. I'd love to know what actually could be worse well, than nothing, that. Well, nothing, nothing could be. What could be worse yeah, than that? Because, you know, that that is obviously the ultimate example. But even, you know, if, say, Le- you know, Leicester had a bit of pressure, didn't they, towards the end of that game? It, you know, if if, if that had, had ended up being a, being a draw... You know, it, the feeling would have been different because it would. You know, there was because of the price tag and because it was his first mistake. There was still a massive spotlight on that game, even though Liverpool had won. Can you imagine what it would have been like if it actually cost Liverpool points? The same with the United one. You know, it, I think you know luck comes into it as well, doesn't it? Because you know, you think of Shakiri's two goals against United, both deflected in. If they don't go in, then Allison's error is magnified that much, that much more as well, because it cost Liverpool points. So, and. You know, I think I think you just think maybe I think also elite level, absolute top level players as well. Sometimes you, you get the impression that a little they they get a bit of luck goes that way. You think of Van Dijk's probably made one bad mistake this season, and that was giving away the penalty against City at Anfield, and then Mares skies it over the bar. Now, of course, Van Dijk wouldn't have got slaughtered for that because you know he, there's been too much to admire either side of it, but it's still an example of. You know, it didn't actually cost Liverpool anything, did it? And it, it all ties into the the fine margins that more often than not this season that they've they've been on the right side of it. But I also think you know uh, what divides the very best players from the other players is 
your mental strength again. You know, if you do that big mistake, how do you react? How do you respond to that big mistake? You can lose your confidence or you can learn from that mistake and actually improve your game. And I think that's exactly what happened to Alisson. He needed that one blunder to sort of sharpen up because he was getting maybe a little bit too laid back, a little bit too cool, a little bit too confident. It just made him stay on the toes and just work extra hard and even more sharp in a way. So that's another perspective. There was some stat knocking around. I'm not sure whether this is true because I've not been bothered to check it out. <laughs> the professional that I am. Uh, the, apparently Van Dijk hasn't been dribbled past once since in the Premier League, at least, since he joined Liverpool. That can't be right. I, I must admit, I haven't seen that stat, but if you think of Adama Traore's moments well, yeah. at Wolves, <laughs> you'd think it, it, it could be true, couldn't it? Because that was just a, an incredible moment where Adama Traore is one, one of the fastest players in the Premier League and he's kicked it and rushed and tried to uh, steal a march on Van Dijk and... He didn't get near it, did he? Van Dijk just calmly knocked it back to Allison. So I could probably believe that if, if we looked into it. You'd have, I mean, to, you'd have to dig it out from somewhere. Have I mean, you seen it? I mean, obviously, the reason Sani didn't get past him is because he fouled him. So whether that just counts, you know, he's just fouled anybody that's come anywhere near him, basically. <laughs> you get past? No, I don't think so. Uh, James, what do you think the overall the mood of the club then? We're talking about, we had those, t- those two defeats. It is the tricky January, has, has been mentioned. They've now got a run of games where you'd think... You know, it's it's the games that I think are the ones where the potential to slip up. Crystal Palace is it? Crystal Palace at home next, yeah. and then and West then Ham Lester, away. No, Le- no, Leicester at home. Leicester at home. Yeah. Is it Bournemouth and at then, home coming up at some point? Yeah. Leicester uh, away as well. West Ham away, and then. <coughs> no, Leicester home. Then. Sorry, yeah, West Ham away. Yeah. yeah. But Liverpool, I've taken as you wrote in your your match report from Saturday, they've actually taken maximum points <laughs> from all the games against everybody else outside the top six. None yeah. of the others have done that. Well, even the top five, someone pointed out to me because obviously I think. Are United still sixth? They're still, or did they move they're up? still well. They're still sixth, I think. Because if that, yeah, if they're still sixth, then yeah, they haven't dropped a point against anyone outside of the top five this season. Which yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Because in this itself, is normally it? where they tend to slip up, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know, especially you think back to you know the Rafa Benitez side that went closest under him. You know, it was it wasn't the big games that was the issue, was it? It was beating teams like Hull and West Ham at, at Anfield. Ten draws, I think, that yeah. season, wasn't yeah. it? Fulham yeah. as well at home. Um, and it, yeah, it was in, like it was interesting speaking to Jordan Henderson. Stopped, gave interviews after the game Saturday, and he was asked about you know contrasting this this team to the one that went close that he was part of five years ago under Brendan Rodgers. And he, and he said, well, you know, the, the, the big difference is that we didn't really have it in our locker then to go to somewhere like Brighton and grind out you know a, a you know a pretty ugly looking one 0 win. You know, he's, you know, I think I was looking at the stats, um, and it was. I think I think at this point five years ago Liverpool had conceded twenty eight league goals and now it's ten, which you know shows you the the, the difference really. And they, they obviously ended up conceding fifty that year, which you know is ridiculous that Liverpool even got close to winning the title with that kind of defensive record. Um, so yeah, I think you know I think the Saturday just proved what Klopp had said the day before at Melwood about the fact that you know some people might be losing their heads about the fact Liverpool have lost back to back games, but no one inside this building is. Um, and I think the response on Saturday proved that. And now they've got a fantastic opportunity to kick on because um, you know Klopp obviously moans about the, the lack of preparation time and all the rest of it. Yet, yet now you know a full week. I think he's given them today off back in Tuesday, um, decent amount of time to prepare for the visit of Palace. And then you know he gets his warm weather training camp, likely to be in Dubai. You going? Um, don't know actually. I need to, <laughs> 
I need to ask three important people. One, <laughs> someone at the club. Cap and hands. Will there be any access? Yeah. The person here that has the purse strings, will you pay for my flight? And then someone at home. Can I, can I, can I disappear for a week to Dubai for some warm weather training? I'll, I'll be James, don't worry. I'll no, if you don't want to go, I'll do it. I'll the, do it. Um, so if those three things fall into line, then um, hopefully. Um, but yeah, and then what is it, 11 days to prepare for the visit of Leicester. So... Um, yeah, and the, you know the next few fixtures are you know Palace at home. You know, obviously you said Leicester, West, West Ham, Bournemouth, and and then again, you know, what is it? Ten days to prepare for the the visit of Bayern. So, you know, although you know people were obviously upset and rightly so about going out of the FA Cup, you know, I think you know, you, you, you know, I, there's no reason why Liverpool shouldn't really cash in on that because. Um, Klopp's got exactly what he, he often moans that he doesn't have, which is, is time to prepare and get players ready. Gorsty, going back to the conspiracy chat from earlier on, do you feel as though that's a massive compliment to Liverpool's Premier League title aspirations? Because they would, I think people have started to go beyond the, ah, they'll just fall away to the, oh, hang on, they might have got a chance here, so we're going to try and disrupt them another way. Because that's just, they're not particularly against Liverpool, that's just what fans are like, yeah. regardless of the club. Yeah, because there's no clear weakness, is there, this time? Um, as James mentioned then about the 2014 team, they were <clears throat> conceding goals you know, nearly as regularly as they were scoring them. I think they scored 101 that season and conceded 50. So to finish second with a goal difference of 50 says a lot about that kind of team. This one is conceded, was it, 10 now? Yeah, in 10, 22 yeah. games. Um, and they're not quite firing as, as well as they were last season, but they're not far behind. So there's there's no real weakness in this Liverpool team. You don't look at it and think that's where it's going to fall away. So people um, jumping on this conspiracy bandwagon are kind of just looking for something or anything to grasp onto to um, make themselves feel a little bit better the fact that one of their most hated rivals might be winning the Premier League. Ragenhild, I really hope I've said that right. Oh, uh, you're so good at saying that. I'm very <laughs> impressed. I'm so, good at, I'm so good at reading stuff off my own notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned before that there have been games where you've been nervous, such as on Saturday. But overall, looking at the season, are you A, still excited? And B, are you starting to believe that this could be a year where Liverpool could finally win the league? Yes, but I, I, I am so afraid of jinxing anything here. But... Um... It's okay, we've said everything in this podcast. Okay, so, uh, cool. There's absolutely cool. every outcome Fantastic. has been covered. <laughs> so forgive me, guys, if I, if I do anything wrong. But actually, to be honest with you, um, at the beginning of the season, I said the same. This year will be Liverpool's year. I know it's a cliche, but I said it and I believed it. Uh, I don't know why. It's just I've just had this gut feeling all season that this is our year. It's about time. You know, it would be... Yeah, it would be about time. And... Um, I'm quite confident. I am uh, thinking we can do it. We are in the lead. You know, it's the best position to be in. We just need to to use the other cliche, take one game at a time. You know how all the players say that in their post-match interviews. We just got to take one game at a time. <laughs> but I think that's exactly what we need to do now as fans and the team. We just need to sort of focus on one game at a time and just roll through this. I think it's possible. James, I won't bother asking you because I know what you think. Ghostly, are you starting to believe? <laughs> well, yeah, I was I was starting to believe on Boxing Day um, when Leicester beat City and Liverpool beat Newcastle. I thought this could actually be the, the year where Liverpool finally end the 29-year wait for a league title. And your association with Liverpool doesn't, does, doesn't go just to writing books, does it? No, um, I've been... Um 
I've been in the board of the Norwegian Supporters Club for several several years, but uh, I had to quit that when I moved over to Liverpool. So I've become so crazy that I've taken my two little kids with me and my husband and, and moved here permanently. So now uh, I do quite a few events as well. I'm planning something very exciting with the the club itself. I'll have to come back and, and talk about that later because that will be history in the making. If it goes the way I'm dreaming and hoping and planning, it will do in March. That's the only key word. But um, yeah, I'm doing an event with Bruce. I'm celebrating his book, Life uh, in a Jungle, um, at the Hilton. This will be my very first big event in Liverpool because I've hosted quite a lot of events for charity and other things in in Liverpool but this will be my first proper event and I'm hoping so many people will come down and celebrate Bruce because this will be his official book release party where we will sit down after we've eaten his African inspired meal that he's put together he's a decent cook I have to say he's making it no 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 he's just <laughs> planned it with the head chef of Hilton so he, he he's got he's got his day off in the kitchen but he he cooks everywhere he goes you know all the places we've he traveled. was cooking last time I came around to your house oh yeah 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 he cooks all the time so. and he will cook different meals for different people <laughs> he, he opened just the front cooks. door to me yeah. I didn't even expect to see him <laughs> yeah yeah I went, only went to pick up my little girl and suddenly Bruce Grobbler's there in a penny cooking prawns yeah <laughs> did you have one I did it's prawns oh, his that... garlic prawns are oh, amazing God, they're yeah. legendary <laughs> legendary yeah. legendary no he is yeah. he, you know it, it's a pure joy to travel with him because he will just open fridges and start cooking at friends houses so he will he will customise stuff for, for kids and he will do did a lot so we will sit down at the Hilton and that will be the most honest, in-depth interview you will hear with Bruce Grobelar in your life. It will be a journey from the start when he was pegged between the post behind the, the goal of his dad as a toddler um, so he couldn't run away while he was <laughs> his dad was playing. So the only thing he could watch was his dad's movements in goal. So we'll go from there and all the way through his African extremely eccentric upbringing uh, with witch doctors in the dressing room and it's just incredible and all the way to becoming England's most winning goalkeeper. So I'm hoping everyone who's listening to this who's coming to Bournemouth um, or if you're already in the city, 8th of February at 6 o'clock at Hilton. How do people get tickets? It's on the ticket quarter but if you just Google African Night and Bruce you will find us. Well, something to look forward to. I think that should just about do us. Uh, join us later again this week where we will look ahead to who are they playing I've forgotten <laughs> Palace. Palace. Palace Crystal Palace yeah. at home last team to beat them at home don't say that cheerio you've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo